Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SayMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And while one of the classic symptoms of hyperthyroidism is weight loss, some people with this condition have problems losing weight. And so in this episode, I'll be discussing what you can do in either situation. In other words, if you're losing weight, I'll discuss strategies on how to gain weight. And if you're gaining weight, I'll discuss some strategies on how to lose weight. And so let's get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. Welcome back to the Save My Thyroid podcast. This is Dr. Eric Osansky, and in this episode, I'm going to discuss how to maintain a healthy weight. And we're going to start by discussing strategies for gaining weight. And the reason for this is because a lot of people with hyperthyroidism lose weight. Not everybody. So we will discuss some strategies for losing weight as well. But let's start off by discussing why many people with hyperthyroidism lose weight. And this includes me, or at least included me, back in 2008, 2009, when I was dealing with Graves' disease, I lost over 40 pounds, specifically 42 pounds. And not everybody with hyperthyroidism who loses weight loses that many pounds. But in my situation, the weight loss was extreme. For others with hyperthyroidism who are losing weight, it can understandably be very concerning. Many people, again, they struggle to, to gain weight. And this is due to the increased metabolism associated with the elevation of thyroid hormone. That's what hyperthyroidism is, you get that increased metabolism associated with that elevation of thyroid hormone. And that sometimes frustrates people who are actually gaining weight. And again, we'll, we'll discuss reasons why some people with hyperthyroidism gain weight, even with that increased metabolism. Obviously, you want to lower the thyroid hormone levels because the elevated thyroid hormone levels, this is the main reason for the increased metabolism, which leads to the excessive weight loss in many people. And so how can you lower thyroid hormone levels? Well, antithyroid medication is the most common method, at least given by endocrinologists. Of course, I'm in favor of natural methods, although I will say that many of my patients do take antithyroid medication, such as methimazole or PTU or carbimazole for those who live overseas. And, you know, so I took bugleweed, which is an herb that has antithyroid properties, and it worked well for me. And many of my patients have taken bugleweed to help lower the thyroid hormone levels. So there's antithyroid medication, there's herbs such as bugleweed, L-carnitine also is a natural agent that in higher amounts can lower thyroid hormone levels. But there's also low-dose naltrexone, low-dose naltrexone or LDN that calms down the immune system. Now, this is a medication. It doesn't come with the same side effects as antithyroid medication, although some people do experience sleep disturbances. But low-dose naltrexone, when it works, it can work well, because especially with Graves. So I'm talking more specifically for Graves' disease. If someone has a condition such as toxic multinodule goiter, then 
assuming you don't ha- also have an autoimmune component, this probably wouldn't work for you. But if someone has really any autoimmune condition, but specifically we're talking here about Graves or if you have antibodies for Hashimoto's. So low-dose naltrexone can calm down the immune system, modulate that immune system response. And as a result, for those with hyperthyroidism, it can lower those thyroid hormone levels by, again, calming down that immune system. The problem with LDN is that it's hit or miss, so it doesn't work in everybody, whereas antithyroid medication is effective in most people. problem with antithyroid medication is that side effects are common. Bugleweed, not as effective as antithyroid medication, but in my opinion, in my experience, more effective than low-dose naltrexone. And also doesn't require a prescription to take bugleweed. And of course, you want to address the cause of the problem. So whether you take antithyroid medication or bugleweed, or if you do take low-dose naltrexone, you want to address the cause of the problem. Also, another thing I should mention is cholestyramine. So cholestyramine is used not specifically for hyperthyroidism. It's used in other conditions such as if someone has diarrhea, chronic diarrhea, or toxic mold, mycotoxins, it combines into mycotoxins. But I've had a couple of patients who took cholestyramine, so I can't say a large sample size, but it's in the research. That's why I recommended it to these patients. And, and cholestyramine, for those who are unable to take antithyroid medication and maybe the bugleweed doesn't work, uh, of course, again, you could try low-dose naltrexone, but cholestyramine is another option to consider. Then also when it comes to diet, so that's a common question for people with hyperthyroidism who who are losing a lot of weight. Besides lowering thyroid hormone levels, they wonder what they could eat. And of course, you want to try to eat nutrient-dense foods, regardless of whether you're losing weight or gaining weight, you want to eat nutrient-dense foods. But this is the purpose of an autoimmune paleo diet, which I commonly recommend to my grave disease patients, or even a standard paleo diet. So the purpose of both of these diets is to eat nutrient-dense foods, and you want to eat healthy fats, not necessarily a ketogenic diet. A ketogenic diet, you're eating a lot of healthy fats and really a low amount of carbs, so usually like 50 grams or less of, of carbohydrates per day. So with an autoimmune paleo diet or standard paleo diet, the carbohydrates, it is going to be on the lower side, but not as restrictive as a ketogenic diet, but definitely you want to eat plenty of healthy fats. And this includes uh, avocados, uh, coconut oil. And I will say with coconut oil, I think it's great to cook with coconut oil, but I probably wouldn't load your smoothies with coconut oil. In in the past, I used to not, I wouldn't say I loaded my smoothies with coconut oil, but I added a tablespoon of coconut oil. And if you do that, that's probably okay, but I don't think it's absolutely necessary. And, And I will say, even though I'm not scared of saturated fat, like many people are, you still don't want to overdo it with the saturated fat. So I would say cook with coconut oil, but don't eat a lot of coconut oil, but avocados definitely. And if you're not a vegan or vegetarian, healthy meats and fish. And if you're following a paleo diet, then you could also eat Uh, nuts, which are a good source of fats as well. If you're autoimmune paleo diet, then you're not supposed to eat nuts. And then when it comes to carbohydrates, it's okay to eat healthy carbohydrates. Most of the carbohydrates are going to come in a form of vegetables. So definitely feel free to eat plenty of vegetables and also sweet potatoes, plantains, winter squash as well. These are examples of vegetables that are higher in carbohydrates than like green leafy vegetables, for example, or cruciferous vegetables, such as broccoli, kale. And you definitely don't want to overdo it with with those types of vegetables. 
So if you eat like three or four sweet potatoes per day, it's probably overdoing it, at least in my opinion. So as far as other weight gain strategies besides lowering the thyroid hormone levels and eating nutrient-dense foods, you also want to make sure that your gut is in a healthy state. So if you have a compromised gut, you want to do things to heal the gut. A lot of people have a leaky gut and there's something called the triad of autoimmunity and according to that triad, everybody with an autoimmune condition, including Graves' disease, has a leaky gut. So you would want to heal the leaky gut. Also, infections can be a big factor. Really, anything that causes malabsorption. So an infections is one of the factors that can cause malabsorption. Also, SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. So this isn't an infection. This is when you have bacteria, too much bacteria in the small intestine. Most of the bacteria should be in the large intestine. And also, I should mention things like celiac disease, conditions such as celiac disease, which is an autoimmune condition where you Definitely want to avoid gluten and then inflammatory bowel disease, including Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. These can also cause malabsorption. So any type of gut problem that especially is causing malabsorption, you want to address. And then also some weight-bearing exercises, maybe you know some light, at least some light weightlifting. Depends on your situation. Some people might be able to do more moderate weightlifting. But if you're new to this, I would say to start out with some light weightlifting, and that'll put on at least some muscle mass, which is a big problem with hyperthyroidism with a lot of people losing muscle mass. So now let's discuss some strategies for losing weight for those people who are gaining weight. Antithyroid medication, this is probably the number one cause of weight gain in those with hyperthyroidism. It's very effective in lowering thyroid hormone levels, but by lowering thyroid hormone levels, it also can cause someone to increase weight. So you want to do an updated thyroid panel. That's really the only way to know if you... So if you start out hyperthyroid and you then took antithyroid medication and you've, you might feel that you're hypo, but you still want to do an updated thyroid panel. And if TSH is on the higher side, again, with hyperthyroidism, TSH will typically be low or depressed. And so if you're becoming more hypo, TSH will be on the higher side or elevated. And then the thyroid hormone levels, T3, T4, they might not be overtly low, meaning they might still be within the lab reference range, but you might notice them on the lower side. A lot of endocrinologists will just pay attention to TSH. If the TSH is, is on the higher side or elevated, that will be sufficient for them to decrease the dose of the antithyroid medication. And for many people, that can make a big difference as far as causing them to gain unwanted weight, decreasing the antithyroid medication can cause them to, to lose weight. And then carbohydrate intake. So you want to limit the carbohydrate intake. You know, you don't want to reduce the consumption of vegetables. So again, when, when we're losing too much weight, you might want to eat more carbs. Now I mentioned earlier where if you're losing weight, you don't want to still don't want to go crazy. Like you don't want to necessarily eat like three or four sweet potatoes in a single day. And, and then that's especially true if you're trying to, if you're trying to lose weight. So if you're trying to gain weight, you can maybe justify eating more than a single sweet potato or plantain. But you know, when it comes to losing weight, you want to, uh, again, limit carbohydrate intake, but that doesn't include most vegetables as far as like green leafy vegetables or cruciferous vegetables. But definitely when it comes to other foods that you probably shouldn't be eating in either situation, like pasta, chips, french fries, uh, grains such as rice or oats, 
And so I'm not saying these are foods that you can never eat again. And there are healthier versions. So like, for example, someone can eat sweet potato fries and, and bake them and use healthier oils, for example. But for the most part, you want to try to at least minimize these foods. Even if someone's eating, again, a healthier form of French fries or, or sweet potato chips, let's say, still, you could overdo it. You could eat too many healthier carbohydrates, which can cause weight gain. Also, intermittent fasting, I should talk about a little bit, because this could be a great method of helping someone to lose weight. And so intermittent fasting, you would want to go at least 12 hours between meals, but many people go longer. So for example, I do intermittent fasting. Now, I can't say I did intermittent fasting when I was dealing with hyperthyroidism just because I was losing a lot of weight. Um, so if, if someone's losing a lot of weight, they probably don't want to do intermittent fasting. But now I do it to maintain a healthy weight. I don't do intermittent fasting really to lose weight. So let's say I might stop eating dinner. Usually I'll stop eating dinner between six and seven. And then my first meal might not be until... 10 or 11, sometimes later. But let's say if I stop eating dinner, my last meal is at seven, and then my first meal the next day is at 11. So that's 16 hours in between meals. So that's an example of intermittent fasting. Some people will go 18 hours. Some people will do full fast where they'll go do a 24-hour fast. So there's different ways of doing this. But again, if, you, if you're losing a lot of weight, be cautious about this. But on the other hand, if you have problems losing weight, then intermittent fasting might be something to consider doing. And also, if someone has adrenal problems, you might want to be cautious. If someone has hypoglycemia, then also you might want to be cautious. So intermittent fasting can be great to lose weight, but there are times you want to be cautious. And this might be a situation where it's a good idea to work with a healthcare practitioner on this. And then cortisol. So a lot of people have high cortisol levels, and this could be a factor when it comes to gaining weight to, you know, for people who struggle to lose weight, it could be high cortisol. So you might want to do an adrenal saliva test. While it's true that you could do a blood test, just do a morning cortisol. You really want to look at the circadian rhythm above cortisol. So when I measure cortisol in my patients, I'll do either saliva testing or dried urine testing. And this will allow me to look at cortisol throughout the day and not just a single cortisol sample. And it's also important to mention that if someone goes to a lab and they get just a morning cortisol, sometimes it depends on the person, but some people, the cortisol responds to stress. So with some people their cortisol will elevate just getting the blood draw itself. So it might create a false elevation. So you need to keep that in mind. And of course, if you have cortisol imbalances, you want to do things to reduce stressors, but also improve stress handling. In fact, many people find it difficult to reduce stressors, but just about everybody could do things to improve their stress handling skills. And then there are natural agents you could use to reduce cortisol levels. So some examples include phosphatidylserine, relora, ashwagandha is great. And ashwagandha is a member of the nightshade family. So if you're following a strict autoimmune paleo diet, you might decide to avoid ashwagandha. Although I will say that I've had a lot of patients over the years with Graves and Hashimoto's take ashwagandha without a problem. So just something to keep in mind. And problem with cortisol metabolism. Really the only test that looks into the cortisol metabolites that I know of is dried urine testing. 
And getting back to the natural agents, just keep in mind that that's not a substitute, like taking ashwagandha, rolora, phosphatidylserine, not a substitute for working on stress handling. And then balancing the sex hormones, this could also be a factor, like if you have sex hormone imbalances, that could be a factor when it comes to gaining weight, especially estrogen dominance, problems with estrogen metabolism. This definitely can cause weight gain in some people. Keep in mind, estrogen dominance, it doesn't only mean high estrogen, but if someone has low progesterone, that's also considered a form of estrogen dominance. And you you could do testing in the blood, saliva, urine. Again, when looking at estrogen metabolism, the only test that really does this is dried urine testing. But if you're just looking at estradiol or total estrogens, you could do a blood test for total estrogens or estradiol. You could look at estradiol in the saliva. You could also look at the other estrogens too, estrone and estriol. And so you want to do things to support estrogen metabolism if this is what's causing your weight gain issues. Also keep in mind that healthy adrenals are necessary for healthy sex hormones too. So you need healthy adrenals. But when getting back to estrogen metabolism, even certain foods such as broccoli, cruciferous vegetables, also broccoli sprouts, really good for supporting estrogen metabolism. Some people will take a supplement called diendolimethane or DIM, and that's actually found in cruciferous vegetables, but you could also take it in supplement form. It really depends on the situation. If someone does a dried urine test and they if they definitely have problems with estrogen metabolism, like you could assume you have problems and just eat broccoli sprouts, for example. But if someone does a test and the test shows that they have problems with estrogen metabolism, probably still a good idea to eat broccoli sprouts, but they also might decide to take a DIM supplement. And then inflammation is huge when it comes to gaining weight. You know, you want to do everything you can to reduce inflammation. Of course, diet is going to play a big role, doing things to manage stress. Also, sleep is, we all know sleep's important, but when it comes to inflammation, if you have a lot of inflammation and you're not sleeping, not getting sufficient sleep, it is really going to be difficult to reduce the inflammation. So you want to try to get sufficient sleep. And then, of course, any inflammatory triggers, uh, whether it's a food trigger such as gluten, or if you have a certain infection that is causing inflammation, you want to find or remove the triggers. And chemicals also, I mean, a lot of different things can cause inflammation, even toxic molds. Also certain nutrient deficiencies. So vitamin D is more of a pro-hormone than a nutrient, but having healthy vitamin D levels is important in order to have an anti-inflammatory state. And also omega-3 fatty acids. So you could eat fish or if you have to take fish oils and then curcumin, drinking some green tea or ginger tea or adding ginger to your diet other than tea form, for example. So these are options to reduce inflammation. And then reducing your toxic load. So of course we live in a toxic world. And so we're all exposed to to environmental toxins and we can't completely eliminate our exposure to environmental toxins, but we can do things to reduce our toxic load. So you want to focus on your home environment because obviously once you step outside, there's not a whole lot you can do outside. But when you're in your own home, there is a lot that you can do. And so of course, diet-wise, eating organic food is important, as well as the, the household products, so the cleaners, the cosmetics, try to use more natural cleaners, cosmetics. doesn't mean you have to use 100% cleaners and cosmetics. If you want to 
keep some chemicals, that's fine. That's understandable in some situations. But for example, spraying the countertops every day, there's no reason, in my opinion, to, to use chemicals every single day. And same thing with your cosmetics, things you put on your body. You really want them to be as natural as possible. And then you might also want to consider infrared sauna therapy. So, you, you, of course, eating vegetables, eating certain foods can really help with the detoxification process. So I'm not suggesting that you need to sweat out the toxins, but infrared sauna therapy, if you have it in your budget to get an infrared sauna, assuming you don't have one already, that's a really good method of reducing your toxic load. That's something I do a few days per week. I do infrared sauna, but I also do as much as I can through diet as well. All right, so let's go ahead and discuss some action steps you could take to maintain a healthy weight. Again, you want balanced thyroid hormone levels. So if your thyroid hormone levels are too high, if you have hyperthyroidism, this can potentially lead to weight loss and you want to balance thyroid hormone levels. And then eating nutrient-dense foods. Again, important either way, but if, if you're trying to gain weight, you want to eat nutrient-dense foods. But even if you're looking to lose weight, that this is important. And then for those who are losing weight and want to gain weight, heal in the gut. Again, this is important for everyone as well, though. So obviously, if someone is trying to, and if someone, you know, I mentioned inflammation could be a factor with people who are trying to lose weight. And so if you have an unhealthy gut, that also could be a factor with inflammation. So either way, whether you're trying to lose weight or trying to gain weight, you want to have a healthy gut. You want to balance adrenals and sex hormones. And again, reducing inflammation is important and you need to find the factors that are reducing inflammation. So I mentioned doing things like having healthy vitamin D levels, eating fish or taking omega-3 fatty acids, curcumin, those things can help. But if all you do is take supplements, but you don't find and address the cause of inflammation, then those supplements will have minimal effects. And then doing everything you can to decrease your toxic load. Again, you're not going to completely eliminate your exposure to toxins, but you want to try to minimize your exposure to toxins and then try to do things to increase your elimination of toxins. So hopefully you found this information to be valuable. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have you ever gone into one of those bouncy houses? You know, those inflatable houses and slides they have for children? Not only is bouncing fun, but it's great for the health of your lymphatic system, which actually is part of your immune system and also plays a role in detoxification. The good news is that you don't need a bouncy house to support your lymphatic system, as you can jump on a rebounder, which is a mini trampoline, or you could jump rope, or you could even jump on your bed. And if you do the latter, you might as well have a pillow fight too. Now, if for any reason you're unable to jump, there are homeopathic remedies that can also support your lymphatic system. One of these days, I think I'm going to record a podcast episode while jumping up and down on my rebounder, or perhaps even on my bed. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. 
To learn more about Hepatoimmune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.